This is KMTT and the weekly Pashat HaShavua Shir. This year, Tavshin Ayin, it will be given by Harav Hanoch Waxman. This week, Pashat Pinchas, I would like to speak about the very opening of Pashat Pinchas and the story of the reward of Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aron HaKohen. Beginning in Parshat Pinchas here, Bamidbar Per Kafei, Pasuk Yud Aleph, the Torah says as follows Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aron HaKohen, Heshivit Chamati Me'al Bene Yisrael. God spoke to Moshe and told him that Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aron HaKohen, Heshivit Chamati, removed my anger, Me'al Bene Yisrael, from the people of Israel, but Kano et Kinati Bitocham. When he was, let's translate this as zealous uh, for my sake, the doubling of the stem, Kuf Nun Aleph, Kina uh, meaning zealousness, jealousness, vengeance, or the like, some sort of hot, passionate action. Third usage of the stem here in this uh, pasuk, um, and I, therefore God says, and I did not completely destroy B'nai Israel Bekinati uh, in my anger or vengeance or zealousness. And of course, this is a, a reference to the fact that immediately preceding uh, in Parak Kafei Pasuk Tet, uh, we are told that there is a magifa. We're told um, the de- those who died in the plague or in the um, in the vengeance of God were twenty four thousand, um, and it is of course Pinchas's actions uh, previously recorded in the Torah that led to the the, the cessation of the magifa. But uh, God continues on here. Therefore, I'm going to give him my covenant of peace. Um, and he will receive forever and to his children ever after the covenant of priestliness that uh, Pinchas and his descendants will become formerly priests, which they had not been previously. Because he was vengeful or zealous for his God. And he achieved atonement for B'nai Yisrael. Now, of course, uh, as a reading through these psukim, it's kind of obvious, uh, Pinchas had engaged in a, an action uh, on behalf of God. And the Torah here uses the stem, Kufnun Aleph, meaning vengeance or zealousness or jealousness, four times. And it's precisely because of this action of Kina'ah that Pinchas is rewarded with the Brit Shalom, with the covenant of peace, and he is a descendant are made into priests ever after. And this is kind of the, uh, the short version of the psukim here. Uh, now, the famous question, which I would like to discuss in this shiur, is how do we evaluate uh, God's statement here uh, that he is rewarding Pinchas for his kin'ah, for his vengefulness, for his revenge, for his jealousness, for his zealousness. How do we evaluate uh, Pinchas's actions in this context that he engaged in kin'ah, in vengefulness or zealousness or je- uh, jealousness, etc., on God's behalf? And how do we evaluate kin'ah in general? And this is to some extent the um, uh, matrix of questions I would like to uh, discuss uh, God's reward of Pinchas, Pinchas's actions, and the general evaluation of Kina. Now, this question, of course, as we should realize uh, from the Psukim that I read, uh, is kind of uh, a, a is kind of the second half of the story. And, and what I mean by this is that these Psukim are in the aftermath of Pinchas's actions. And in order to map out a kind of uh, another question, which I think is important for understanding the Parshia. I would like to go back to the very end of last week's parsha uh, to Per Kafei Pasuk Aleph and the original 
um, precipitating set of events, uh, that which occurred and that which led to uh, Pinchas's actions that he's rewarded for. So we pick it up in Parakathei, Pasak Aleph, the tail end of um, Parashat Balak, we read as follows. Vayeshev Yisrael Bashitim. And the people of Israel dwelt in Shittim, and people began to stray after and to commit adulterous relations with the daughters of Moab. Then what happened? And they called to the people to sacrifice to their gods, the Moabite gods. The people ate. And the people bowed down. So the people are seduced, and the seduction is dual. Uh, they first are seduced by the foreign woman, by the Benot Moab, and this eventually leads them astray to, to stray after the foreign gods. They, they are called to the worship of the foreign gods, they eat, they drink, and they bow down. And then the Torah continues on, and B'nai Israel attach themselves to the worship of Baal Pa'ar, apparently the Moabite god, and God became angry. So the people strained to make the Vodazara. Of course, what happens then? Uh, now, reading like Rashi, and I will read Perikafei Pasik Dalit like Rashi, this says, God said to Moshe, Kach et kol take with you the heads of the people, otam, and impale the sinners. Otam refers to the sinners, those who strayed after uh, Balpar. Lashem neged Hashemesh up in public, uh, in, facing the sun. V'yashav Chorona Hashem Yisrael, and God's anger will be abated from Israel. Pasukei Vayom Moshe Al Shavtei Yisrael Hagu Eshan Hashem Nitzmadin LeBalpar. Moshe goes on to carry out the sentence, and then apparently something goes wrong. And uh, as we should remember the pesukim, Vinei Ish Mibnei Yisrael Bava Yikrev Elachavet Amidyanit, and one Israelite man who later turns out to be. Um, Zimri, the head of the Shimoni tribe, um, he took a Moabite woman who later turns out to be um, Kazbi Batsur, uh, a kind of princess of Midian, and he brought uh, them forth in front of the people, and um, he kind of showed up with her in public and said, this is the woman for me. Um, and uh, there's a kind of paralysis and was at this point in time, he saw this horrible event of the Israelite man and the Midianite woman together. Um, he f- took a spear in his hand and and he came into the enclosed space where the Israelite man and the Midianite woman, um, Zimri and Kazbi, were committing adulterous relations. And he impaled them with the spear Et ish Yisrael vat isha el kavata. He stabbed them to the innards vat teatzer magifama al bnei Yisrael. So this, of course, is the action of Pinchas. Now, what we have to realize here is that there's another issue, not just how to evaluate Pinchas's actions in killing um, the Israelite man and the Midianite woman. Um, the general question of kina, of zealousness or vengefulness, and the reward of Pinchas, but also the precipitating event. The facts are that Moshe does not engage uh, in this action. Uh, Moshe seems to just be busy with business as usual, carrying out the sentence that had been decreed uh, against B'nai Israel. And while this event of um, the Shimonite man and the Midianite woman um, uh, uh, being together in front of the Omoed or even within on some plane um, is going on, Moshe 
does nothing. And it is left to Pinchas. So we have here not just the question of Pinchas's actions, but also the question of Moshe's actions. Okay. Now, after this relatively long introduction, reviewing material, framing it in a certain way that is mostly known to people, I would like to present in the Shi'ur uh, perhaps two approaches to uh, kin'ah, to vengefulness or, or zealousness, two kinds of explanation of the dual problem in the text that I uh, mentioned here, uh, which on some level are contradictory with each other, but on another level, I think, in the end of the day, are complementary with each other. And I'd like to begin uh, with some famed words of Chazal, Debre Chazal, found in Yushalmi in Mesechet Sanhedrin, to be precise, Pertet Halach Zayin, which I think are a kind of keystone in a certain strand of interpretation uh, of the story of Moshe, Pinchas, and Kinah that we find here at the end of Parshat Balak and the beginning of uh, Parshat Pinchas. You show me in Sanhedrin, Ted Zion says as follows. Tani, we learned. Shalom Biratzon Chachamim. What Pinchas did was against the will of Chachamim. Bikshu Lindoto. And the Chachamim of the time wanted to put him into Nidui, some sort of cherem. They wanted to excommunicate Pinchas for his actions. If not for the fact that it jumped upon him, Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, God intervened in Moshe Beit Dino, Moshe and his court's plans to put Pinchas into excommunication for his actions. God intervened. And God intervened and said, um, and it will be to him and his children ever after uh, a eternal covenant. Um, so uh, the Yushalmi here uh, certainly uh, perceives a kind of gap in the action here. On the one hand, there is the deliberate uh, action by Moshe uh, and the other Chachamim, which does not engage in the Pinchas-like action. Pinchas then engages in the action of zealousness. He kills uh, Zimri and Kazbi, uh, and apparently, according to Yushalmi, here, and listening to the text, uh, Moshe was against this. Moshe believes that Pinchas should be punished uh, for this action, but God interferes. And uh, the beginning of Parshat Pinchas is a kind of interjection by God, a statement to Moshe of, no, in this particular case, Pinchas did the right thing, uh, and therefore I'm going to give him the Brit Shalom of uh, Kuna forever, etc. So, it's not just that the Yushalmi kind of portrays or pictures a machloket, a difference of opinion between God and Moshe, but also on some level a machloket, a difference of opinion between Moshe and Pinchas. And I would like to try to unpack in this way of reading uh, the story uh, is uh, what exactly might have been the issue, uh, what it might have been the beef, uh, what was the problem that Moshe had uh, with Pinchas's actions, or why had Moshe himself not engaged in a Pinchas-like action uh, from the very beginning. Um, and I think on an interesting kind of uh, simple level, um, the Yushalmi appears in the context of Masechet um, Stenhadrin, which is concerned with court procedures uh, and uh, the like. Uh, we might say that it has something to do with the standard operating rules of courts. And what I mean by this, if we jump for the moment to Dvarim Perak Yud Zayin, Pasuk Bet through Zion. And if we read in Dvarim Perak Yud Zion, Pasuk Bet the following. Ki matzei b'kirbecha b'achad sharecha asher Hashem elokecha noten lach ish o isha asher yaaseh hatara b'nei Hashem elokecha la'avor bito. If you find someone in your community, 
uh, in your city, in your gate, who is, uh, goes against the will of God and, and does bad in the eyes of God, did transgress the covenant. And, So they bow down to foreign gods. So they worship idols. Well, what happens? What happens is you investigate and in a proper judicial procedure, you eventually administer the death penalty. And what we're told in there are certain parameters uh, for judicial proceedings. They involve a court, they involve court testimony, they involve witnesses, and that is mapped out later on in Seyfet's Verm. Well, if we go back um, to uh, our story, Zion. Uh, in, at the very end of Parshat Balak, reads as follows: Vayar Pinchas ben Elazar ben Haron Hakohen. Um, he saw. Uh, he saw. What did he see? He saw what was happening. Vayakam mitocheida, and he rose up from amidst the community. Vayikach romach biado, and he took a spear in his hand. Vayavo achar ish Yisrael alakuba, and he came after the Israelite man to the enclosed space where he was with uh, the Midianite woman with. Uh, and he impaled them. Um, now, so Pinchas saw, and Pinchas got up individually, and here there is no witnesses, and here there is no court proceeding. Um, this is taking the law into one's hands, what we might call a kind of extrajudicial killing. And what makes it even more serious is if we go back to Parakafe Pasake. Look at the context. Moshe said to the judges of Israel, each man should kill his um, men who have attached themselves to Balbar. We must remember that there is an existent and functioning judicial system, a system of shoftim, of judges and officers set up by Moshe way back in Sefer Shmot, and it is the responsibility of the commander-in-chief of Moshe and of the judges and of the shoftim to administer justice according to normal, recognized, obvious court procedures. Yet, Pinchas takes the law into his own hands, he sees, he stands up with his spear, and he attacks. And certainly, on this grounds alone, we could imagine Yushalmi talking about a kind of machloket, a kind of difference of opinion on the one hand between Moshe, who represents the institution, who represents the courts, who represents the regular way of doing things. And he frowns, he and his chachamim, or he and his beitim, frowned upon Pinchas' actions, the kind of charismatic, um, self-motivated, extrajudicial um, taking of the law into one's own hands, and this is why they wanted to put him in cherem, or to excommunicate him, if not for the fact that God interfered and told Moshe, not this time, not in this case, in the end of the day, Pinchas did the right thing. This is one way to conceptualize this. Uh, but I think there's actually uh, far more to it, which has to do with perhaps uh, the issue of kin'ah, the issue of zealousness, uh, jealousness, uh, or passionate anger and revenge in general in the Chumash, or more precisely, Moshe's attitude um, to that which is called kin'ah here in the Chumash. Um, and what I would like to do, uh, based upon... Um, some psukim in Bamidbar, and also uh, a kind of very interesting parallel uh, between this week's parsha, uh, Parshat Pinchas, and the normal Haftorah for this week's parsha found in Melachim, uh, Aleph, Perak Yutet, to kind of say something interesting about Kina, which I think sheds some light on our story, um, at least if we read like Chazal uh, that I cited from uh, the Ushalmi. Uh, let us begin. 
by going back to Bamidbar, to Perak Yud Aleph, Pasuk Kafvav, to the funny little story of Eldad and Medad, uh, those who were supposed to become members of the group of 71, um, but they stayed in the Machaneh and they prophesied in the Machaneh. Bamidbar Perkid Aleph, Pasik Kafav, says as follows Vayish Arushne, Anashim Bamachaneh, and two men remained in the camp. Shema Echad Eldad, one was named Eldad, Shema Shani Medad, and the other one was named Medad. And they had been inscribed or written down as those who were chosen. They did not go out to the tent. And they uh, prophesied in the camp. And the lad ran. So a lad came and ran and said, they're prophesying in the camp. And now we get to important pesukim. Yud Aleph Kavchet. And Yeshua bin Nun answered, or he jumped forth and said, uh, Moshe, my master, claim, shut them up. Now, why do they need to be shut up? Uh, is it because of the content of the prophecy? The very fact that they're prophesying not under the leadership of Moshe? The fact that they're prophesying in the camp? Well, for that moment, it doesn't, for the moment, that doesn't matter. What matters is Moshe's reaction found in Bamidbar Perkid Aleph Pasek Kaftet, which says as follows. Fayomer lo Moshe, and Moshe said back to Yeshua, Hamikane Atali, are you jealous or zealous or vengeful for my sake. Let them all be Nevi'im, Moshe says. If Yoshua is jealous or zealous or passionate for the status of Moshe, for the sake of Moshe, for the role of Moshe, the Ish Moshe, who is Anav Ma'od, Mikol Adam, who is humble, he says to Yoshua, Are you envious or zealous or jealous for my sake? The hot, passionate anger or zealousness is connected to the Li, to the I. And from Moshe's perspective, this is not a laudable attribute. This is not a, a proper attribute. And kinah, or at least here, Moshe voices a kind of anti-kinah approach. Kinah, that kind of attitude or emotion, it seems to be that something that Moshe has a negative attitude towards here in this Pasha Abba Perkut Aleph. Now, I think this uh, perspective of Moshe perhaps as uh, an anti Kinah figure on some level um, can be strengthened uh, through a fascinating parallel that exists, as I pointed out previously, um, between Moshe on some hand on one plane and the story of Eliyahu in the aftermath of Har Har Kamel, of the events at Har Kamel, found in Melachim Aleph, uh, Parakutet. I would like to jump for the moment to Melachim Aleph. Uh, and take a look at some of the Pesukim there to kind of build up this connection between Eliyahu on the one hand and Moshe on the other hand. Now, of course, as we should remember, after killing the Nevi'e HaBaal, the prophets of the Baal, at Har HaKamel, Eliyahu was, was forced to flee. And he actually, uh, he, where did he flee? He fled to the desert. Malachim Aleph, Perak Yutet, Chet, says as follows, Vayakam, Vayochal, Vayishter, and he got up, and he drank, and he ate, um, and he went by the power of this consumption of this food he'd eaten, 
Arba'im yom varba'im layla. So he went arba'im yom varba'im layla. Now we do not need to go back to uh, Sefer Shemot to realize that arba'im yom varba'im layla is of course uh, a number that is associated with Moshe. Uh, Moshe is the man of arba'im yom varba'im layla throughout Sefer Shemot and of course it's mentioned in Sefer Devarim as well. But the Pasuk continues on in Malachim Aleph Yutet Tet and says as follows. Arba'im yom varba'im layla adhar elokim chorev. And after the 40 days and 40 nights, where did 40, 40 of a journey, another kind of Moshe connotation, where does Eliyahu come to? He comes to Har, Elokim, Chorev. We only need to stay. Shmot, Paragimel, where Moshe first confronts God. Har, Elokim, Chorev. Um, so we have here two parallels to Moshe already. Now let us go on with the story uh, of Eliyahu at Har Chorev in the aftermath of Har HaKamel. And he came into the cave, and he slept there. And God spoke to him, uh, What are you doing here, Eliyahu? And Perak Tet Pasikut says as follows, I was zealous or passionate or vengeful for God's sake. And Eliyahu was. He is an Ishkinah. Previously like Pinchas, in Pashat Pinchas, Eliyahu is an Ishkinah. And what happens? Uh, why? He explains why. They abandoned your covenant, B'nai Yisrael, they destroyed your altars, when your prophets, they killed by sword. I, I alone, Eliyahu, was left. And they desired to take to kill me as well. So Eliyahu basically says, uh, I was zealous, jealous, vengeful for your sake. They deserved it. They abandoned the covenant. They destroyed the Mizbachot. And only I, Eliyahu, the zealous, jealous one, was left on your side, God. And God then continues on, uh, or the Torah, or the Pasuk continues on, or the Navi continues on, to explain what happened in the aftermath. Um, and we read as follows in uh, Perak Yutet, um, Pasuk Yud Aleph. Go and stand on the mountain. In front of God, and God is going to pass by. Now, so Eliyahu is told to um, stand on the mountain, and then besides standing on the mountain, he's told that God is going to pass by. Now, if we're sensitive to it, this should take us back to Shmot, Perak, Lamed, Gimel, to the story of Moshe at that very same place, um, at Har uh, Chorev, in the aftermath of Chete Egal. When B'nai Yisrael um, abandoned the covenant with God, just as Eliyahu said, uh, B'nai Yisrael had abandoned the covenant with God. That's a kind of third parallel between the stories. Um, God says to Moshe in Shemot Perik Lamed Gimel, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Stand next to me. So God says to Moshe, well, parallel three, the abandonment of the Brit by B'nai Israel. Parallel four, stand with me here on the rock or on the mountain. Parallel uh, five, God is going to pass by. Parallel six is this notion of the nook of the rock of the Ma'ara, of the protected place. So the story of Eliyahu Bahar Chorev closely parallels the life of Moshe, the story of Moshe, um, also at Har Chorev, especially the aftermath of the Chayta Egal. Now, um, God passes by over Eliyahu. We return to Pesukim and Melachim, and let's go back there. And what are famous? This we know what happens, right? 
But in the great wind, God was not found. V'achar ruach rash. And then there was a great noise. Lo barash Hashem, God was not in the noise. V'achar rash esh. And after the wind and the noise, there was a fire. Lo ba'esh Hashem, God was not in the fire. V'achar esh kol d'mamadaka. And after the noise and the wind and the fire and the burning passion and the big noise, God wasn't in any of those things, but where was God found? Called Mamadaka in a soft, still voice. So Elio covers his face and he's protected and he goes out of the Ma'ara and a voice comes to him and repeats the exact same question Elio had asked, been asked before. Malacha fo Elio. What are you doing here? How have you gotten here to the place of Moshe Rabbeinu to Har Chorev? And Eliyahu's response in Lachim Aleph, Yutet, Yudalid, is as follows. Vayomer, Kano kineti l'ashem elokei tzvakot ki azbu b'ritcha b'nei Yisrael et b'chotecha harasu et neviecha haragu b'charev v'aviter ani levadi v'akshu anafshi l'kachta. Exact same claim. As word for word, as yud tet yud, vayomer kano kineti l'ashem elokei tzvakot ki azbu b'ritcha b'nei Yisrael. The exact after God's object lesson, God's attempted teaching of God not being in the wind and not in the noise and not in the fire, but in the soft, still voice, God asked the same question again. What are you doing here, Elio? And Elio's response is the same exact response. The response of, Kanokineti, I was vengeful, I was zealous because they abandoned your covenant and I was the only one who stood up for you. Elio stands, sticks to his guns of kinah and apparently he has completely missed the lesson or missed the point because the lesson or the point is an anti-kin'ah point. It is not in the ruach, it's not in the noise, it's not in the fire, it's not in the fiery passion of kin'ah that God has found, but it's in the soft, still voice. And Eliyahu is supposed to recognize his mistake, but he doesn't. He just repeats his sentence exactly over again. Ani ish kin'ah, I am a man of zealousness. And the eventual result of this is, is God gives Eliyahu his marching orders, and he tells him to anoint this one as the king. And in Pasuk Tet Zayin, he says as follows, Ve'et yehu ben nimshi timshach amelcha Yisrael ve'et Elisha ben shafat me'avam l'cholat timshach l'navi tachtecha. God strips Eliyahu of his role as Navi, because if Eliyahu cannot learn uh, the lesson that God is not in the Ruach, and God is not in the Rosh, and God is not in the Eish, but that Kinah is effectively the wrong way to run things, and Eliyahu is not suited to be the Navi. Now, all of this, Moshe's scene, is meant to draw a contrast to Moshe, because when Moshe was in exactly the same place, um, at the nook in the rock or in the cave, and God passed by, um, and it's the aftermath of B'nai Yisrael breaking the covenant. What does Moshe perceive? Moshe perceives, as we should remember, in Parak Lamid Dalid, Pasuk Vayikra, and God called, passed over him and called out, Hashem Hashem Kerachum Vachanun Chesed Where Eliyahu does not get the message of Rachamim, or of the Kol Dmama Daka. He only is stuck upon Kinah. Moshe, in contrast, perceives the Yud Midot, the Midot of Rachamim, of mercy. The point of the connection between the two stories is to make us realize that Moshe is an anti-Kinah figure. Uh, for Moshe, none of the hot passion of zealousness, of vengefulness, etc., this is not the proper mode of leadership. Um, or the proper way of acting for the Navi, as he later on says to Yeshua, HaMakane Atali, and perhaps precisely because of that, Moshe as an anti-Kin'ah figure in general, did not necessarily agree uh, with the actions of Pinchas 
here in the beginning of uh, Parshat Pinchas, the tail end of Parshat Balak, the beginning of Pinchas. And hence, therefore, as Yushalmi said, Bikshu and Doto, they perhaps wanted to excommunicate or put Pinchas into Cherim because, well, here in this case, God called out and told Moshe and jumped upon Moshe and said, oh, Pinchas did the right thing. From Moshe's perspective, Kinah is not the right mode of leadership for Am Yisrael, and therefore Moshe did not act in Pinchas's fashion and was against uh, Pinchas's mode of leadership and behavior at this point. Now, this is one side of the story. Uh, although I am fundamentally out of time, it is important to realize that there is another side of the story, a kind of complementary factor. And without this other side of the story, this other interpretation, this complementary factor, things are really not complete. And in fact, we can't even really understand how it was that God did decide to come down on the Pinchas side of the argument in this case. Why it was that God did reward Pinchas and positively endorsed the Kinah of Pinchas in our context. Now the answer uh, can be found by paying very careful attention uh, to the context of uh, Pinchas's Kinah, um, the beginning of the story of uh, the, the events uh, at Shittim, the beginning of Parakafe once again, another parallel uh, to Sefer Shmot, or a parallel to Sefer Shmot, and uh, an interesting connection to something else in Moshe's own life. Uh, and let us pick it up here in the few minutes we have in Parakafe Pasuk uh, Kaf. Aleph again, which says as follows. And the people dwelt in Shittim, they began to stray after the Bnot Moah, and they called to the people to uh, eat of the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate, and they bowed down. So we have here the foreign women, the calling to eat of the sacrifices. Uh, and the bowing down and the Avodah Zarah, those can be picked out as four elements here. Now, interestingly enough, these events uh, of Avot Moav, uh, of Shittim, in Kafei Aleph, have a kind of predictive parallel. They're almost, in some sense, predicted by the Torah. Very interestingly, in Shmot Perak Lamidalid, uh, in the aftermath of the Cheta Ego, of the sin of the golden calf, um, when uh, when the Brit is is renewed. And Shmot Perek Lamed Dalet, Pasuk Tet Vav, says as, or even Pasuk Yud Gimel says as well as Perek Lamed Pasuk Gimel says as well as. When you come to the land, uh, do not make a covenant with the people of the land. Uh, do not. Uh, why not? May, lest they become a stumbling block for you. And then it continues on in Pasuk Yud Gimel. Ki et mizbechotam titotsun ve'et amatsivotam tishaberun. You should smash their altars and break their monuments. Ve'et asherav tichroton. And their groves of trees they worship, you should cut down. Rather standard fare in the Torah. Ki lo tishtachavah le'el acher. Do not bow down to another god. Ki Hashem kanashmo kel kanahu. God, his name is kana. Vengefulness, zealousness. Uh... Kel Kanahu, God is a zealous and vengeful God. Pentecost, Bithlio Sheva Aretz, lest you uh, create a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, Vizanu Acharei Eloahem, and you will stray after their gods, Vizavchul Eloahem, 
um, and you will sacrifice to the gods. V'karalacha, they will call you, v'achalta mizivcho, and you will consume of their sacrifices. Pasek tetzayim, v'lakachtami binotav levanecha, and you will take of your, of their daughters for your sons. V'zanu binotav achrei Elohim, and then your children will stray after their gods. V'znu banecha, and they will, you will stray, your children will stray achrei Elohim. Now, what Sefer Shmot sets up is a problem that when you enter the land, there might be foreign women and foreign gods, and there might be this double znut, and there might be uh, a calling to their sacrifice, and there might be the worshipping of Avodah Zarah. And God says, this can't happen, because I am a vengeful and zealous Kel Kana. I am a vengeful and zealous God. And in point of fact, this is exactly what happens in Bamidbar Parak Cafe at the beginning of Parak uh, Cafe through the foreign women to the foreign sacrifices to the foreign gods and this is exactly what God had predicted or warned against in Shemot Parak Lamadalot now you have to realize what's the proper response the proper response of course is Kinah uh, and that's what God says in Shemot Parak Lamadalot Pasuk Tedvav Ki Hashem Shmo Kel Kanahu. Uh, God is a vengeful, zealous God. In the context of Avodah Zarah, in the context of the breaking of the covenant, um, Kinah is uh, the proper response. Now, moreover, what we have to realize is that Moshe has in the past himself stood uh, in the place of the hot, passionate, zealous, vengeful one um, who avenges God's vengeance against Am Yisrael in the context of Avodah Zarah. If we read on in that parak of Shemot, in Shemot Lamedalad, immediately after the mention of the possibility later on of the covenant with the inhabitants of the land and the foreign women and the foreign gods and the foreign sacrifices, the Torah says in Shemot Perak Lamedalad, Pasuk Yudchet, Elohei Yudzayin, Elohei Masicha Lo Taselach. Molten gods, do not make for yourselves. This, of course, is a reference to the ego, um, to the ego Hazav. And the people had made this kind of molten god. They committed Avodah Zarah in the context of the golden calf. And what happened there? Well, Moshe came down from the mountain full of hot passion and anger. And Moshe ground up um, the, the ego. And what did Moshe do with the ego Hazav in Shemot Perak Lamedvet, Pasuk Kaf, we read, And he ground it up until it was thin. He scattered the dust of the eagle upon the water. And he made the Bnei Israel drink. Now why does Moshe make Bnei Israel drink the ashes or the dust of the eagle as a hav? Because this is the story of Isha Sota of the adulterous woman or the possibly adulterous woman. And later on in Bamidbar, Parakei, when we read of the procedure of uh, the adulterous woman, we're told in Bamidbar, Parakei, Pasuk Yudchet, uh, and the, the coin takes the dust and puts it in the water. So there's a mincha which is called the minchat knaot, knaot of vengefulness or zealousness or passion of anger. And it involves drinking. And why is this minchat knaot? Because we're told previously in Shmot Perakei Pasuk Yudal, Vavar Alav Ruach Kina, Vikinet Ishto, the husband who loves his wife or is now resentful of his wife, he is full of hot, passionate, zealousness, vengeance, kin'ah, and she is forced to drink, um, and she holds the minchat kin'ot. And at the Cheda Egel, 
when Am Yisrael, the, the woman of God, um, commits adultery and bows down to a foreign god, it's Moshe Rabbeinu who takes the god role, who is the jealous or zealous husband and acts with Kinah. But for some reason, here, many, many years later on, 38 years later, when Bnei Israel now commits not commit adultery again with the women of Moab and Midian and the foreign gods, and it is a moment for Kinah, uh, and someone must stand in that role of God as the hot, passionate, vengeful, zealous husband of Am Yisrael. Someone must be Mekaneb. For some reason, apparently, Moshe does not. And this would, of course, require more work in Sefer Bamidbar. But at this moment, when Moshe no longer stands in that role of the Mekanel Hashem, in the case of Avodah Zarah, the one time where Kinah is allowed, where it's necessary, when Moshe cannot stand in that role 38 years later, it is Pinchas who stands up and does. So I think here we can map out two different approaches which are fundamentally um, complementary in the end of the day. One, that Moshe is against the actions of Pinchas. Moshe is against taking the law into one's own hands. And Moshe is perhaps against vengefulness or kinah in general, as we see from his comments to Yeshua and the parallel between uh, Moshe and Eliyahu, um, Kinah does not really have a place on a regular basis in leadership. And this is one approach. On the other hand, um, what is clear is that in the particular context of Vadazara, Kinah is necessary. And Moshe himself acted with Kinah 38 years previously. In this context of the end of Sefer Bamidbar, uh, toward the end of the desert journey, Moshe is not in that place anymore. And it falls to Pinchas to be Mekanel Hashem, uh, to stand in that role of the hot, passionate prophet. And for that, Pinchas is rewarded with kahuna.